Good morning. It's really good to have you here today. Thanks for coming out to church. And I'm glad you came here to praise the Lord with me as well as learn. To now, now we're going to take a few minutes and try and learn some things from the, the, the Word of God. Um, well, yeah, I should have been on the other side there. And I was supposed to come out and stand over here so, so he could do that. Sorry. Um, what we want to do is help you understand a concept clearly revealed in the Bible. It's the idea of the, we've picked one word this year, and it sums up this idea, it's the word develop. Clearly, the scriptures teach that you and I are supposed to be being developed. So, one of the things we're reminding ourselves of weekly is put yourself in a place of being developed. I mean, you came here this morning, I hope you expect to be developed in your walk with God, in your relationship with Him, and understanding Him, and growing and know Him. Because life's all about God. It's all about the Lord. That's why you and I exist. And we need to develop ourselves in understanding that and contemplating that. That's what the Scriptures are all about. God's even given us His Spirit to help develop us. But secondly, we need to put ourselves in a place of developing others. The Scriptures tell us that God has invited us to join His plan for the universe, His plan for the world. And He's inviting us to be a part of what He's doing in the lives of other people. We see this in the Old Testament. We see it really clearly in the New Testament. So we not only need to be developed, you need to put yourself in a place of developing others. This is what the Bible talks about, making disciples. This is part of the joy of the Christian life. This is what's supposed to give you meaning and purpose to your life, that you're actually actually doing something for God, and He's working through you to do it. So what I'd like to do today is talk about that with you. I'd like to pray with you first, but the major section we're keying in on today is that to be somebody who is being developed, to be somebody who really develops others is going to take giving. Your time, your money, your energy. Because guess what? You're going to give to what you believe in. If you don't believe it, you don't give to it. Why do athletes, like I'm really into the March Madness thing. How about some of you other guys, right? Whoa, it's March Madness is so much fun. I love watching basketball like that. And I don't even know how to play basketball that well, but I love the teams. Great, great uh, college basketball. Anyway, they give themselves so much of their time and so much of their energy, even so much of the college's money, to accomplish this thing, to win a prize on this earth. But they believe they can. They believe in it. Well, when you and I don't give our money, give our time, give our energy to the things of God, doesn't that tell a lot about what we really believe? Because you'll give yourself to what you believe in. What I'd like to do is pray with you before we even start today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, help us be true believers in every way, shape, and form. In the way we live, in the way we talk, in the way we act, in what we expect and what we hope for. Lord, I pray that you would teach us things from your word today and help us understand the truth of your word. And not only understand it, Lord, but bring it into our life so that we're being developed and we're putting ourselves in a place where we can be used to develop others. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Pastor Don preached uh, with chapter 8 last week, and I'm going to just take three verses out of chapter 9, and I'll explain the context and stuff like that to you in just a few minutes. 
church history or Christian history, you know, 2,000 years is what we're basically talking about. You, you read the book of Acts, and I don't know if you've ever read the book of Acts in the New Testament. If you haven't, it's one of the most exciting books in the New Testament. It's a history book. And it tells us about the history of the church when the Holy Spirit came upon them all the way up through the expansion of the church, even from Jerusalem into Antioch and many places. But then it just kind of stops because after that, church history took over which we have recorded many different things in church history, like going back as far as the church fathers was the first thing you find out about. There's a whole bunch of people listed there. Augustine is one of the first theologians. Then you have Martin Luther and John Calvin and what's called the Great Reformation. Powerful impact. Jonathan Edwards and, and the Wesley brothers and Whitfield during what's called the First and Second Great Awakening. And, and William Carey and C.T. Studd and A.B. Simpson and Hudson Taylor. These were all missionaries. And the big missionary movement that spread the gospel around the world took place. Diedrich Bonhoeffer during World War II taking a stand for the Lord. William Wilberforce, you remember him? He was in Europe trying to abolish slavery there and it even came into America used by Martin Luther King Jr. Amy Carmichael, Elizabeth Elliot, and even we just celebrated the death of Billy Graham. Okay, I list all these names. Maybe you know some of them. If you've not studied church history much, it's so exciting because if there's anything you learn from it, it's this. You ready? Here's what you learn from 2,000 years of church history. You learn God changes people. He did in the New Testament, and ever since then, he still does. God changes people. And he uses church to change them. And he uses people like this who really believe God still changes people. And every name I listed, it's all based on one principle. They all believed God still changes people. And so they invested their time, their money, their energy. And I didn't even mention the hundreds and thousands of people who gave their martyred life. Because they believe people need to hear the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross for their sins. People need to understand they can have an eternal destiny with God someday if they will only believe in Jesus Christ. And they believe God changes them now. God changes your character. God changes your feelings. God changes your attitudes. God changes everything about you now. We're being developed to be completely developed in glory. That's the concept of the Bible. And you see it throughout church history. But only by those willing to give of themselves, of what God's given you. That's the difference right there. I tried to explain it in what's called the big idea of the sermon. You see that in your outlines? It says this. If you believe things need to change, do you believe things need to change around here? Well, I'm not just talking about our church. Of course things need to change in our church. They always have. They always will. Do things need to change in your life? Do things need to change in America? I guess so, yeah. How about in the world? Well, the wars and things, threats and stuff. Yeah, things need to change. You believe that? Of course you do. Well, then I said this. Then give according to your belief. Do you believe God can do anything about it? Do you believe God wants to do something about it? Do you think God still wants to grow his church? Do you think God still wants to make changes through the people of God into the world for his glory and honor? If you believe that, I'm just saying, the Bible tells us to give according to your beliefs. Do you understand? There's a big difference. Two weeks ago, I was out here, and I taught you about tithing in the Old Testament, right? That is based on the belief that we should give according to the law of God. 10%, God says, that's his already, so you should just give back to him. Give according to the law. New Testament, you turn the page into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and right on through, and what does that teach us? Give according to your belief. There's been a switch. We don't have to give just according to the law. We're not under the law of God. 
We're under the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And now we give according to our belief. Let me show you how that unpacks in this passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul's writing to a church in Corinth. And I don't know if you can picture the Mediterranean Sea. And Jerusalem down here is where it started. Let's see, from you it would be down here. Up here, north of the Mediterranean, is this church called Corinth. The gospel had spread all the way across the sea to Corinth. And there's believers there in Corinth. And Paul decides, you know, the church back home, down in Jerusalem, where many of the Christians had to flee to save their lives. People were being persecuted. Moms are taken. Dads taken from their family. All kinds of horrible things going on. And the church is in disarray and having trouble. People can't even get jobs. So Paul even went to different churches like Corinth here, where the people were doing quite well. And he says, listen, guys, can you help them out? Can you give them some money? Can you help the church in Corinth? He tells about a church in Macedonia that gave a whole bunch. He says, guys, what, what will you do? And, and then he says, these three verses we're going to look at today. He sums it up. I put it down like this in point one. Look what it says. You will give a lot if you believe a lot. Did you catch that? You'll give a lot if you believe a lot. Basic principle, look at verse six of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, this is the point. Okay, he's summing it up. I love it when he talks like this because I love summaries and pulling all the loose ends together. He says, this is the point. And he gives us a principle. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's significant. It's a it's like a life principle he uses. And he's um, helping us understand this life principle about, well, it's kind of like he's taking a, the principle or the laws that govern the universe, the, the laws that govern the world, and using that as a basis to say that's true in the moral world too. It's, it's a life principle. And you know how I like object lessons? So I got one for you. I borrowed this from a friend of mine who's really into exercising. And this is what they call a slam ball. It's 10 pounds. And um, this thing, in other words, if, if, if you put it on the ground, it's not going to roll. It's kind of like a weighted ball. It's supposed to throw it down or something like that. Anyway, Paul's saying here, well, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Who sows bountifully, or a lot, will also reap a lot. He's talking about the basic governing principle of life. Saying that if I hold this ball right now and I let go, which way will it go? Will it go up? (laughs) No. Will it go this way? No. Will it go that way? No. Marty, it'll go straight down, right? I told you, it didn't even bounce this kind of ball. Why did it go straight down? The law of gravity, the principle that governs the universe, this planet we live on that holds us all on the planet is called gravity. Paul's saying in the same way that gravity pushes a ball to the ground, in the same way there's a governing principle morally. Whoever sows sparingly, well, I can't expect to reap a lot. But whoever sows a lot should expect to reap a lot. It's basically sowing and reaping, sowing and harvesting is farming, right? And everybody knew about farming back then. Maybe we were kind of separated because we're kind of suburbanites. But it's basically if you plant corn, you're going to get corn. You plant a lot of corn, you'll probably get a lot of corn. Plant just a little bit, you'll only get a little bit. You're not going to get a lot. You plant according to what you believe. I remember one time talking to a farmer. And... uh, I, you know, being a suburban kid myself, I wasn't that connected to what was going on. And he was, he could tell that 
So he was a big farmer, and he explained it to me this way. Maybe this will hit home for you. Marty, we're in a drought. I have $40,000 in the ground right now. $40,000? Yeah, $40,000 in seed and fertilizer in the ground, not to mention all the hours and man hours I spent plowing, putting all that stuff in. I got 40000 just in cost in the ground. If, the, if, the, if this drought continues, I could lose half that, all of that, and no harvest at all. Whoa, what a huge risk. What, why did you do that, you think, you know? Why would you put 40000 in the ground? Because I'm hoping to get 80000 or 100000 That's why. I did it based on what? His vision, his belief. That's the principle he's using here. Give according to your belief. If you believe there's going to be a harvest, you should give. You give according to what you believe. And because he believed there would be a harvest, and the Apostle Paul's using that same principle, say, guys, look, here, he says, here, here's the point. Here, here's the bottom line. If you sow sparingly, well, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, or if you sow a lot, which is what the word bountiful means, then expect to reap a lot. A basic principle that Paul lays out here is something we should use to govern our life in the spiritual realm and what we do with the Lord. So, let's take this and apply it to church, to God, to the kingdom. Why do people so little to church? Don't even want to give 10% of their income. You could only conclude they don't believe it's worth it. They don't believe it's going to change many lives. Why do people give so little to missionaries? Don't believe it. Don't believe it's going to change much. Even though we've got 2,000 years track history of changed lives. I don't believe it. It's going to happen now. I mean, that's the only conclusion you could come to. Why would you sow sparingly? You don't believe you're going to reap much. And that's the point he's trying to make. So he's bringing it home to the Corinthians and God's bringing it home to you and me. What do you believe? Do you really believe this stuff? Do you really believe the New Testament? Do you really believe God still changes lives? Do you believe he can save a marriage? Do you believe he can take a kid off a of heroin? Do you believe he can pull people back to himself? Do you believe he's going to reach the lost in your community? Do you really believe he can touch your neighbor's heart? Do you really believe it? That's the question the Corinthians had to wrestle with. That's the question we have to wrestle with. Do you believe he could help the Jerusalem church? Well, then why not give to the Jerusalem church is what he's saying to them. Same with us. You can only conclude that if we give little, it's because we believe little. If you give a lot, like I point out in the point, it's because you believe a lot. Jesus said it this way. Where your treasure is, well, that's where your heart is also. In fact, isn't it interesting? The next verse, that's what he goes on to. Point two in your outline reads like this. You will give a lot if it's your heartfelt belief. Look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Oh, this is such a great verse. Notice what he says here, as he has decided. So he's saying, here's the New Testament principle, guys. We don't give just according to the law of God because we have to. We give as each one has decided in his heart to give. 
So for each one of us, it's a matter of heartfelt belief, like I tried to put down a point two there. It's what you believe in your heart. That's what God wants to do. In fact, he'll even change our hearts. Now, the founder of our denomination is a man named A.B. Simpson, who 130 years ago, something like that, was a pastor of a Presbyterian church up in New York City. And he was really burdened because all these people are coming to New York City and they're from, they're from uh, you know, other countries. He was especially interested in the Italian community because most churches, people didn't want anything to do with those Italians. But he wanted to reach them for Christ. And he was really burdened because his denomination and many denominations weren't doing much, even though America was becoming more and more prosperous, weren't doing much to reach the rest of the world. The people in Africa, the people in Asia, even the people back in Europe, we weren't, we weren't doing much. And so he took this verse and he said, doesn't it say here, each one should decide in his heart? And he came up with this concept called faith promise giving. We've used it here a lot. Even the church I grew up in, which was not an alliance church, taught this faith promise giving based on this verse. It was, it was something that A.B. Simpson talked about first and said, guys, it tells us here, you have to decide in your heart, how much will you believe God for? Will you believe God for this amount, this amount? We've done it many times. We've had faith promise. We call them pledge cards, whatever you want to call them, where you write down the amount and say, okay, for the next three years, here's what I'm trusting God for. This is the biblical basis for it, just this one verse even. And so A.B. Simpson would go around, preach this and teach this, and he started this huge missionary movement. He joined up with Baptist friends, and he joined up with Lutheran friends, all kinds of different churches. They say, come on, guys, let's form, form a mission, and let's reach the world. Let's tell them, because we believe God still changes lives in Africa, in Asia. Do you believe it or not? If we can get the gospel to them. And so those people started giving, and this huge movement took place. This is the modern missionary movement. A lot of it had to do with A.B. Simpson's faith promise cards. What's so cool about that, and Lori and I have done that a lot. Many people in this church have done that. That's a lot of why this church is even here. You put down an amount sometimes, an even sacrificial amount, we would challenge people to do. And you say, okay, over the next three years, I'm going to give $10,000, $20,000, $30,000, something like that. You put it down. And then to watch God work things out and watch the way God does things to bring it about just blows your mind. You're like, oh my goodness, of course I can trust God for this. Of course I need to believe, because God is God, and he wants to work his work through me and in me. I can trust him for this. That's the first part I wanted to show you here. The second thing out of this passage I wanted to show you is this. Notice what he concludes with. He says it in this verse, each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give. In other words, it's according to your faith. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's a cheerful giver? Well, like he said, it's not reluctantly or under compulsion, because, you, you know, the Bible says you have to do it. He said, no, God doesn't want that. So I started thinking back and how this came into my life. And, and I want to explain it to you like this. Please, three things I want to show you about my uh, giving of my time, giving of my money, and giving of my energy. So I became, many of you know that in high school, I was an unbelievable rascal. I was always in trouble. I was always chasing, always running, trying to have fun and trying to party and everything. So that was my life. So then this crazy little kid becomes a Christian at 18 years old. Remember, I told you, I went into my bedroom. I'd heard the gospel, put my elbows on my bed. Nobody had preached to me that day or anything. I was just under conviction from God because what? 
God still changes lives. It was changing my life. I folded my hands, prayed the best prayer I could, asking Jesus to come into my heart, be my Savior, forgive me of my sins. Didn't even understand hardly what that even meant, but I knew that was it. And change happened. And you know one of the changes? I started taking my time to go to church every weekend. Wait a minute. You'd be laughing if you understood what I just said. You'd be like, you start going to church all the time? You like wanted to? Yeah. Why did you want to go to church, Marty? And here's, I'll, I kid you not, I would tell you because, because my whole life was based on this, got to understand, because it was fun. Fun. Yeah. Because now I'm a Christian. I want to know how to be a Christian. I want to learn how to be a Christian. I want to understand what this Christian thing. I want to be closer to God. I want to know God. And when I go to church and I sing songs and I hear preaching and I give money, I see all these things. And I meet friends that are trying to follow God. It just, it was like fulfilling. Maybe fun's the wrong word, but that's what I would have used then. It was like fulfilling. It was significant. It was meaningful. Now I have meaning in my life. So I was spending my time differently. I was a cheerful giver of my time to church. Are you? I mean, I wanted to be there every weekend because it was building me up. It was giving me understanding. Okay, that's my time. Money. I shared with you two weeks ago how I learned to tithe. My friend Mark and I were had this little painting business and we decided to give 20% and God, how God worked it all out and blessed it. What did we, we decided in our heart to give. Did you notice it's right in this passage? And God came through for exactly what we had decided. And if we hadn't decided it beforehand, I'm not sure we would ever got to where we did. So I was learning, trust God. Do you believe him? Yes, I believe he can take care of me and I believe he wants to give through me. So we're trusting God. And so what I was learning was how to be a cheerful giver. I was giving because I believed it was fun. Again, I would have called it that, but I was believing because I believed it was significant. It was going to be used to change lives and I saw it in our church kids getting baptized, lives being changed, missionaries going out. Some of the missionaries, the church I was in was a huge missions church, and we'd have missionaries come back from different places in the world and give reports that would just bring you to tears. It was so exciting. Of course I want to give, you know, because you saw the change, right? Third area. So there's my time, there's my money, energy. This one will blow your mind. Okay. If any of you, well, all of you have been in high school, right? I don't know about you, but my high school, what's the big night of the week? Friday night. You can't wait for Friday night, because Friday night is wild, right? It's crazy. It's fun. It's partying on. It's getting this, getting that. You know what I mean? It's kidding. That's what I was all about. So now, Friday nights... I'm going to spend my Friday nights running a coffeehouse ministry, teaching kids the gospel, helping people understand, running a staff of like 25, 30 different adults and, and kids, preaching the gospel, having skits that taught the gospel, having people share testimonies, having Jesus bands up on stage. We literally were doing that. I'd have two or 300 kids out on a Friday night. I'm spending all my Friday nights doing that? Again, if you understood me, you'd be laughing, going, you you got to be kidding. Why did you do that, Marty? I would tell you, it was so fun. You know, it was so worth it. All these things, a cheerful giver is the person who believes, it's so worth it. Oh, man, I found meaning to my life, significance to my life. I'm making a difference. I see changed lives. I see the product. I see the harvest. I'm, I'm just more than willing to so generously or so bountifully or so a lot because it's making a lot. It's producing a lot. 
That's huge, folks. It's what it means to be a cheerful giver. You're investing so much, yeah, it costs you big time. Your time, your money, your energy. But the results are phenomenal. It set me up to be a pastor in the state of New Jersey where everybody had given up New Jersey a long time ago, right? It's a hopeless place. I'm seriously moving here from Texas and people would go, why in the heck are you going to that godforsaken New Jersey for? I'd say, that's why I'm going. Because they need the gospel. They need the truth. I mean, come on. You know we don't have the greatest reputation, right? It's, a, it's like Eagles fans, you know. But it's because we're passionate about something. But sometimes it's the wrong thing. And they need the Lord. That's all. People need the Lord. And God has given us the privilege of bringing the Lord to them. Okay, third point. Look at point three. You'll give a lot if you believe God will give you a lot. It really comes down to that, and he sums it up. He knows that's where our thinking is going, so look what he says in verse 8. This is a key, key verse. And God is able, so he's been challenging them to give and to give cheerfully, to decide in their heart. He's saying, and here's the whole point, sow sparingly, reap sparingly, sow a lot, you reap a lot. So he says, let me sum it up for you. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Did you notice that word all? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Wow. He starts out with, God is able. Do you understand? This whole giving thing is based on the foundation of God's character. Either you believe God's faithful, God's true, God's loving, God's going to take care of you, he's able, or you don't believe it. The whole basis of why why I would give my time, why I'd give my energy, why I'd give anything, money, is because I believe God's able to supply for me. Just just think about that for a second. What what would happen, forget the other two services we have here, just this group of people right here, if this group actually believed that, (laughs) I mean, like, we lived that out, like, well, don't worry about me. God's going to take it here. Let me give some to this. Let me give my time to this. Let me give my money to that. Let me, let me make changes here. Because God is able. And then he repeats this one word, all, 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 all. Did you catch that? He kept repeating it to bring home the point that God's character is able. All grace, all sufficiency, all things at all times. Okay, let me ask you a question. What percentage of the time does God's plan work out? What percentage of the time in this world does God's plan work out? What's the answer? 100%. (laughs) You know, you you can't brainstorm with God. You don't say something to God and God goes, Oh, gosh, I never thought of that. (laughs) You can't brainstorm with God. His plan is going to work out 100% of the time. You go, hold on, hold on, Marty, back it up. Marty, I've given and given and given, whether it's to my son or my daughter or to a cause or to a mission, and they didn't do so well and it didn't work out so good. It's like, I, 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 it, it didn't happen. What, you think God missed something there? You think God's not going to take care of you there? God's not going to supply? You don't think that's going to make any difference in your life? You don't think that's going to make any difference in the long term when you get to eternity? You go, oh my gosh, I'm glad I gave to that. Yeah. Did you know in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the author to the Hebrews, Hebrews are what? Jewish Christians, right? They become Christians. 
He's writing to them, and he goes through the whole Old Testament. He mentions Noah. Remember that passage? It's called the faith passage. And all the different people of faith through history, kind of like I did at the beginning about church history. Goes through all this and says, and they all gave everything, is what he's basically saying. And they never received the full promise. What's his point? His point is, if they could see you now, if they could see generation after generation after generation, the fruit of their labors is just starting to be seen now with the New Testament church starting. And he's going to say, and, and, and nothing like they're going to see when they get to glory. Can you imagine the people I've listed here, even the people in the Old Testament, if they could see us now? If they could see the move of Christianity around the world? I mean, there's literally thousands of people becoming Christians every day every day, especially in Africa, in the southern part of the hemisphere right now. It used to be more the northern hemisphere. Now missiologists are telling us it's shifting to the southern hemisphere. It's a huge movement. God's still making changes in people's lives in vast numbers. And it was some of those people who invested so much, but they died before they saw the fruit of it. If they could see us now. And I wonder... If five years, ten years, fifty years, a hundred years from now, if the people look back, oh man, if the people at FAC only knew what they did, the foundation they built, the time, the money, the energy, the sweat, the blood, the tears they gave, huge, huge impact. But that's all because we doubted it. We didn't believe it. It's like, do you believe it? And the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11 is believe God's character. Believe God's all-sufficiency. Believe God's always going to supply. Because 100% of the time, his plan works out. You can't go wrong. Can't beat those percentages. Can't beat it. Best investment. I think about that when I think about even like the history of our church. Like, you know, we started in my house. We had like 15 people or so. We have a little group, you know, and we start to grow the group and grow the group. Next thing you know, we're having church services and the whole thing is going on. And, you know, we're there in the early 80s. And people were giving their time and giving their money and and dreaming, you know. Like many people say, when you're ever sitting in the house, did you ever think something like this could happen? Absolutely not. That'd be ridiculous. But I believe God is sufficient. I believed God was able. And so we gave and gave and gave and gave. And then we moved into Memorial School in Medford. Those people are really my heroes. Because we we had maybe a hundred people. Half of them are like kids. They don't give anything. No time. We're just taking care of all these kids we got. We've got a couple rooms we're taking care of, as well as meeting in the lunchroom for church, setting it up, taking it down every week. You know, and we're believing God's going to make it a church. We're believing God's going to call. We're believing someday we'll have a piece of property. Someday we'll build a building. And sure enough, God, we first bought seven acres here. I had to go into debt for that. Then had to build a building on it. Had to go into debt for that. So by the time we got in in May of 86, we're in debt up to our eyeballs and paths and know that if the whole thing doesn't explode in growth, we're all done. Cash it in. But we believed that God was going to still change lives. He was going to change others like he had changed many of us. And so we kept believing God. And sure enough, they went from 100 to 200 to 300 to 400 to 500, 600, 700, 800. About that time, then I got the Epstein-Barr virus, 1991, 92. So sick, couldn't even pastor for nine months. And you're like, what? And you know what? You know what I've learned? Read it in the Bible. I remember I had a professor named Dr. Hodges, a Greek professor, go through the whole Bible and said, God, look at the pastor. Do you see the pattern about God here? God, God's like into drama. He'll bring things to the place where 
It's looking like it's going to happen just what you dreamed. And then, oh, you have the death of a vision. It all falls apart. And then God raised it from the dead. He says, isn't that what happened to Jesus? Here's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he gets killed on the cross and the disciples are like, oh. And then God raised him from the dead, right? That's what we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks. And then he went all the way to the book of Revelation. Remember, this guy's a Bible scholar. He's a Greek expert. Goes to the book of Revelation. Says there's two witnesses. What happens to the two witnesses in the book of Revelation? Those in the prophecy here prior to They get killed. And then God raises them from the dead. He says, that's just how God keeps doing it. He's testing you. He's, do, do you believe that 100% of the time his plan works out? And sure enough, God's plan worked out. I started getting better. We brought in other staff. Started growing again. Started building our last building over there that we built. And then God started raising up what we call the big picture team to build this building, get the land across the street. Someone gave us a camp. I mean, the thing just continues to grow. In fact, maybe you don't even know this. I think we probably told you, but about a year ago, the guy next to our camp who owns 200 acres said, I'll tell you what, why don't you guys lease this from me for $1 a year? 200 acres for a dollar a year? Yeah, I'll write it off my taxes. Like, great, you know? So now we got this mega camp. What could we do? Let alone the property across the street, which we had to buy that much to get the land use change to build this. It's like, what could we do? Sky's the limit. But will we believe? It's the only question left. Will we believe God? Still changing lives, still wants to use us to change people, to set the stage for generations to come, for our kids, our grandkids, and our grandkids' grandkids. From the Testament, the New Testament, we have to realize, oh, yeah, look, we just, it's when we decide in our heart that God's able and we trust Him with our time, our money, and our energy. We're cheerful givers because the outcome is 100% guaranteed. And even here, you know, like we're in this building. I was telling somebody the other day that. Uh, a builder, big builder, builds big homes. Now he lives in Florida. And, he, and I said, yeah, we just moved into this church. And he came and looked at it. And he goes, wow, it's pretty cool. You know, I said, yeah, well, we're not quite done decorating yet. We got to make it look a little warmer and do some stuff. We're out of money right now. We got to give to that. We got to see that happening. He goes, hey, it's just like moving into a home. And you moved into a pretty big home. It takes you a while to decorate it. And I'm like, well, we're getting there. Believe God. Give toward that. Let alone renovating the old chapel and the other sanctuary, the sanctuary we just moved out of. Youth space, children's space. If you go to other churches, you see mega things where kids are just, it's almost like a a place where they're welcomed, a place where they can grow, a place where they want to come and and understand the truth about God. But if we won't invest in it, they don't see that investment either. They don't see that we believe it. Let alone what we could do across the street. We don't even know yet. We're dreaming about that one. We are brainstorming about that, asking God what he wants us to do. Same with the camp, what we could do. So many things. Even just paying off our debt. Big vision. Do we believe God? That's what it comes down to. And yet, I mean, if I was going to invest, I would invest in a company that had a 37-year track history of seeing changed lives. I'd say, yeah, that's worth it, right? Sure is. Well, I got to end. Um, a few weeks ago, I learned a new term. Here's the term I learned: liminal space. Liminal. Yeah, that's put on the screen. That's how you spell it: liminal space. Maybe some of you know what that means. I, I didn't. Liminal space means 
You're not where you started from, and you're not where you're going to finish yet. You're in the space in between, and the space in between is called liminal space. And in church history, you and me, we are in liminal space. We're not in glory yet. God's plan's not complete yet. We're still in liminal space. We're not where we started. We're not where God started. God's plan is still unfolding from generation to generation, but we're in between. And this article I was reading was saying, yeah, but sometimes the tragedy is people get stuck in the liminal space between the starting point and the finish line. And isn't that true in our personal lives? Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we get disappointed. Sometimes things don't work out like we thought God's plan was supposed to. Forgetting that God's plan works out 100% of the time and we get stuck. So what gets you stuck in liminal space? If you're here in your spiritual journey and you're stuck, I guarantee I know what it is. You're stuck in liminal space, maybe about yourself, about your marriage, about your life, about your kids, about this church, about the kingdom of God, whatever it be. What always gets you stuck? One word would sum it up, doubt. It's always doubt. We doubt it. You give according to your belief. We can't give ourselves to it anymore because we're doubting. We don't quite believe it. We know where we started from. It may have started out with a lot of vigor. It's like running a marathon. You start out sprinting. But now you're in the liminal space and you're kind of disappointed. And you're, oh man, you're tired. You don't know if you're going to make it. But the promise is still there. God says 100% of the time, my plan works out. Will you trust me with your time, with your money? With your, will, will you so bountifully or so sparingly Will you give a lot or give a little? I'm saying to you, it's all based on what you believe. Because we are supposed to give, and you always do give according to what you believe. That's why some preachers say, well, you can tell where your faith is by looking at your checkbook, your bank account. Because you'll give to what you really believe in. If you really believe in yourself, well, you give to yourself. If you really believe in the work of God and that it's not done yet and he still wants to use you, well, then you'll give. I thank God there's so many different people throughout church history that I look at as heroes of the faith, like even a Billy Graham. And the time and the money and the energy and the sacrifice they give, yeah, those are the world changers. Those are the ones that make an impact. I want to be that kind of person. I want you to be that kind of person. I want us to be that kind of church. We can be if we believe. So here's what I'd like to do. I get to end the service today, so I'd like to have you stand and we'll pray. Stand up with me. Dear God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And, and we're humbled when we hear a sermon like this because sometimes we get so stuck in our liminal space. So distracted. So taken over by the cares of this world. So overcome by obstacles and problems and temptations of Satan that we forget 100% of the time you fulfill your promises. 100% of the time you make it worth it. And yet we worry and we get afraid and we hold back and we doubt. Oh Lord, 
where did we ever get the idea that it's all going to work out perfect on this earth, on this earth? When you told us in this world you'll have trials and tribulations, but take heart, for God has overcome the world. Oh Lord, we worship a God who is all sufficient, always able, all all the time in all things. So Lord, I pray we will be known as a group of people who believes you, and people can see it by our giving of our time, of our money, of our energy. We believe hundreds and thousands of kids in this community, young kids, can be helped to grow in the Lord, know the Lord, and find the Lord. Teenagers can know there's something bigger and better in their life than just getting high or just excelling at this thing or at that thing. It's about Jesus. They need the Lord. That we can help families come back together. We can help people find the Lord. Lord, you still change people. So help us invest a lot. And the change will be a lot then in our community, even around the world, investing in missions. But dear God, please save us. Get us unstuck in our liminal space as we march on to the future glory of your promises to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. See you next week.